0: Hey, you guys. Tickets have officially gone on sale for my next virtual conference. In May, we did Rise Live Courage, and now we're doing Rise Live Healthy and Happy. We're spending an entire day nine plus hours of programming with some of the greatest speakers in the world all talking about how to live your life in such a way that you have the energy to have the life of your dreams. What does it look like to learn to eat intuitively? What does it look like to move your body in celebration? What does it look like to approach health from a place of love and celebration instead of shame? We believe that healthy and happy is about how you feel, not about how you look. So I am joined by incredible people like Jay Shetty and Stacey Flowers, Kelly Levesque, Dave Hollis, Trent Shelton, motivating the crap out of you, me talking about inspiration. And if you've ever been to a RISE conference before, you better believe you're also going to hear from Beans and Chris is going to be a day of fun and energy and so empowering. If you feel like you have fallen off your plan inside of quarantine, if you feel like you need a kick in the pants to get you motivated again, this is the day for you. And tickets start at $40. You can go to theholliscode.com right there at the top of the page. You'll see a big banner. Click on it. Let's hang out. Let's get fired up together. Hey, Rise listeners. Producer Chelsea here. Starting next week, we're looking forward to bringing you some original programming by Rachel herself. But until then, we want to share an episode from last October featuring an interview with Nick Stone, one of our favorite novelists for children and young adults. Stone's debut novel, Dear Martin, is a New York Times bestseller, which tells the story of a young man who begins writing letters to Martin Luther King Jr. after an interaction with racist police officers leaves him shaken. In this interview... Rachel and Nick discuss breaking down barriers in publishing, as well as how to craft a story about your truth, even if it feels like the world is telling you no. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Rise Podcast, and we'll be back next week with a message from Rachel. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is The Rise Podcast. Did you always want to be a writer? Is that something you had since you were a little girl? Like, what was that journey for you to become an author?
1: So what's interesting about my journey to becoming an author is I did want to be a writer, but as a black woman, not Mm -hmm. seeing writers who looked like me hindered me in a lot of ways. Yeah, Um, Which is why I write the stuff that I do. Um, Not only because it's like when, I guess it hit me when I hit my late 20s that like, if I wasn't seeing myself in books other people weren't getting an opportunity to see me either absolutely and realizing how important that was is kind of what made me decide to go ahead and take the plunge
0: yeah can we let we well, let's dig into that right at the top because i think it's so crazy that you say that literally this morning i was talking about business but i had posted a quote It's not my quote. It's an old one. But if you can't see it, how do you know you can be it? Mm -hmm. And I think so much of my career has been propelled by not seeing women in business settings. Like I wanted to see a female host of a business podcast like this one, and I didn't. Or I wanted to see women on stage, and I didn't. And so I started leaning into that because... I wanted the same kind of thing. Can you talk to me about if someone's listening to this and they've never really thought of that before, like, oh, well, I, you know, I have the privilege of always seeing myself yeah. in books and media.
1: It's it, it's wild, right? Like, not when you don't see yourself... And, and, you know, books are something that we are forced to look at from the time we enter schooling, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, pre-K on. I remember The Very Hungry Caterpillar from, like, pre-K, right? And, you know, it's a book about a caterpillar. But, like, as you get older and you're forced to read books about actual human beings, when you don't see human beings in those books that look like you, you start to wonder if you actually exist. Mm. Like, books have such a way of shaping our notions of reality Um, Books and media, books, films, TV, etc. But because books are tied to literacy and literacy is tied to like success, you know, I realized that like, yo, I had to do something Mm -hmm. um, because it's not fun. Um, growing up, I think I saw, like, three black people in the books I had to read between 8th and 12th grade. And I was, like, the only black kid in the class. So we're reading Huck Finn, and we got Jim, who yeah. I couldn't even understand half the time because of the way he's written. Yeah. And then there's Tom Robinson from To Kill a Mockingbird, who did nothing wrong, but winds up having to face the consequences of this thing that he didn't even do. And then there's Crooks from Of Mice and Men, who he couldn't really get anything done despite being this really sweet character like they weren't heroes, right? Like I never saw myself as a hero in a story growing up or like even afterward. And I think I'm all about changing that. So like where you want to see yourself and women who are going to come up behind you in positions of authority in business, I want the same thing when it comes to literacy Mm -hmm. and when it comes to Books when it comes to media, um, because I think honestly that's where empowerment comes from—seeing people who look like you doing this very powerful thing.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me what that journey is like. When did you really start to think I'm gonna write? Was it like because as a little girl I was always sort of puttering and trying? Yeah. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, I'm gonna write a book. What was that like for you? So
1: interestingly enough, I didn't think I could write fiction, and I, I remember being like 22, 23. 24 even and I'm 34 now and I remember looking around loving reading books but feeling like I could never write fiction I loved reading fiction but I didn't think I could write it and it took me reading actually the Divergent series Mm -hmm. by Veronica
0: Roth that was
1: the first book series where a black character lives through the end. And it, like, awakened something within me um, because this girl in this book, Christina, is the character's name. She was the first time. I was, like, 27 or 28 when I read this book. And I think I was 28 when I read the second one. I was 27 when I read Divergent and 28 when I read Insurgent. And then Allegiant came out. But, like, this whole series, you see this black girl. I got to see this black girl, like, doing the things that I felt like I would do if I were in her shoes that was a really powerful experience for me. So at 28, I decided to give it a try. I decided to try and write fiction. And, like, the first go-round was trash. the yeah. like, first it book is. was so bad. And yeah. I think that we should both stress yes. this, right? Yes. Like, if you are a person who wants to write a book recognize that the first time might not be great
0: yeah and that's okay yeah honestly the first several times were not that great for me absolutely
1: dear martin was the third book i wrote and it was the first one published so like you know you got to kind of keep at it yeah practice makes improved yeah um but yeah it took and but then once i like once it clicked that it was a thing that i could do i can't stop yeah it's like all i want to do now yeah
0: and so are you staying in the fiction genre? Do you think you'll ever jump to – because I started in fiction yeah. and then I jumped to nonfiction. Oh, yeah. And I miss fiction so terribly. But it feels like this there, – there's like this blessing and this curse of having success in a certain area. Mm-hmm. Or I suppose it could even be like writing for young adults versus writing for – pre- or whatever that you kind of – that now everyone goes okay this is what you're known for write more of this thing what was that like for you
1: so interestingly enough this is something i've been thinking about and talking to my therapist about <laughs> a lot um because this is my message really to your listeners you are allowed to be good at more than one thing. Mm. We're kind of taught and conditioned that, like, okay, this is the thing that you're good at. Like, stick to this thing. And if you try to do other things, you're that whole jack-of-all-trades but a master of none. A jill-of-all-trades but a master of none. But I think that's bullcrap. Yeah. Like, I do think it's possible to be good at multiple things. And I absolutely plan to do all of it. I want to do nonfiction. I want to do adult fiction. I want to do picture books. I'm going to do all of it. I want to screenwrite. And I'm going to do these things.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Hey y'all, if you are looking for something to complement the foods that you are already eating to bless your body, I want to make sure you know about Saqqara's Clean Boutique. It's the perfect complement for your eating journey with organic, whole food-based healthy snacks, supplements, and heartwarming teas that round out your rituals beautifully. Complete your Saqqara life and ensure you're getting all the essential plant nutrition you need every day with The Foundation, the brand's curated vitamin packs. And if you want to check it out, right now Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sacara.com slash rise or enter code rise at checkout. That's Saqqara, S A K A R A dot com slash rise to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash rise. So where are you now with your so Dear Martin came out. That was the first book that was published. Yeah. And what happened with that one? Well, this
1: is the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. So that was 2017. Um, Interestingly enough, I sold Dear Martin in February of 2015, and it took 32 months or so before it was actually on a shelf. Yeah. But once like the beginning of 2017 hit and people started reading the book. They started liking the book. And now it's a book that's constantly assigned in schools. Um, I have the utter privilege of getting to like travel around the country talking about racism, Mm -hmm. you know, to kids as young as 12. Like I've been in middle schools. I've been in high schools. A couple weeks ago, I was like in this very small technical school in in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Oh, my gosh. It was like me and like two sets of 800 students, first year students, like 80% of whom were like straight white dudes. Yeah. From conservative areas. Um, So it's afforded me the opportunity to talk to so many different types of people And it's wild.
0: Will you explain what the book's about if people haven't read it yet? Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a book that follows um, a 17-year-old African-American boy named Justice who, after a traumatic experience with racial profiling, like there's a night that he is trying to help his ex-girlfriend get home after she's had too much to drink – Um, a police officer pulls up, assumes that he is up to no good because he's trying to put her in her own car, um, and he arrests this kid on the spot, gives him no chance to speak, no chance to explain himself. And from that experience, this kid who is super high achieving, he's like headed to Yale, um, he goes to this very elite private school, he decides he's going to start a journal of letters that he writes to the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. just to see how Dr. King's teachings apply now in the 21st century. So he uses it as this journal, like he makes this journal of letters, um, really just trying to process the world around him and how he fits inside of it. Um, And it's a book that gets real gritty. Uh, I tell people, with that book it is my intention it was my intention to make as many people uncomfortable as possible because mm-hmm. it's like in discomfort that we're that's where we grow right Absolutely. so like across the racial spectrum no matter who you are where you come from what's your eth- what your ethnicity is you will be uncomfortable at some point reading this book which is a, which is important mm-hmm. um, when talking about an issue like this Um so yeah and the sequel like I got talked into a sequel <laughs> <and> that, <laughs> that will. (laughs) come out next october okay but yeah we're just rolling right along how was that how
0: was so uh, with my first fiction book put it out into the world, and the publisher was like, we think this is a series. Mm -hmm. It was never that in my Mm -hmm. own mind. But with the second book, I got to play on completely different characters. I didn't keep that story going. So is that what
1: you did or this is truly his sequel? Yeah, no. So this is, I call it a sequanion. So (laughs) it's like a sequel time-wise. Yes. But a companion novel in that is from a different perspective. Got it.
0: And how was that to write?
1: (sighs) You know, they were both really awful to write. Yeah, Um, I understand that. The research was excruciating. There's a lot that I don't, I just don't want to think about, you know. Um, but I had to for both of these books. This, the sequel really, the Sequanian, <laughs> it really deals with the juvenile justice system and inequities, racial inequities in the juvenile justice system. And how a lot of these African-American boys wind up kind of criminalized before they even get an opportunity to be, like, 13, you mm-hmm. know? Um, you you make one mistake, and suddenly you have this record, and because of this record, you're kind of sent on a very specific trajectory, and it's something that really bothers me. Uh, so where in the first book, I'm dealing with just kind of systemic racism and microaggressions and all the ways that, you know, from the foundations of this country— Things have been set up for certain people to be able to succeed and other people to be to to struggle mm-hmm. um, with that. This book is more about circumstances and how, a lot of the time, we don't think when it comes to Black boys specifically, we don't think about the circumstances of their lives that have led them to where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two little boys, so like this kids? is important to me. So I have two. Let's see, one of them is three, going on like 27. <laughs> and my other son is seven. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so you're writing this as you're researching. What is that process like for you? Do you sort of compile it all at the beginning and then start writing? Or do you write, research, write, research?
1: I do something? more the latter. Um, so interestingly enough, we tried to sell a different book before Dear Martin. And the editor, who is just a dream to work with, while she liked my writing, she wasn't sold on that other story. So I sold Dear Martin on, on, um, on Proposal, mm. um, 13 pages that, like, I just spit out. They gave me 12 hours to, like, spit out an idea. And in writing it, I, I like, had a deadline from jump. Yeah. Um, and so I had to kind of research and write simultaneously, which was terrible. Yeah. But now that's the way that I do things because yeah. I got so used to like doing it that way um, that now that just makes more sense to me. I Absolutely.
0: Guess. Whenever we're going through something hard, it always affects us in more than one way. In the season that I've been in in my life, going through a difficult time, has affected my sleep. I feel like I'm getting insomnia again that I haven't had in several years. And being able to talk that through with my therapist and kind of unpack why that anxiety is showing up at night or why my thoughts are racing or why I can't seem to shut my head off has been super helpful for me. And if you have considered seeing a therapist or talking to a counselor, it has never been easier to meet with someone virtually. If you are not familiar with BetterHelp, then I want to make sure that you hear about it from me. BetterHelp has counselors who specialize in everything you can imagine depression, stress, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem, anything that you share is confidential and the service is convenient and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener of my podcast, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com dot com slash rise join over one million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's better com slash rise. I promise myself every time that I will never again write on contract like i always want to finish a book and then say here it is do you and then it never oh no ever happened i can't do it now yeah no like, like, now, just now it's just like it. here's the thing and turn this in by june 1st and, and then you like, you, you know cry for a year and yeah. just make it happen um, so that one comes out in october Is that correct? Which one? The, the, what do we call it? The The Sequanian. That's (laughs) October 2020. Okay, October 2020. Okay, so you still, you still got a hot minute on that one. Yeah. Are you turned in yet? Are you in edits Oh, yeah, Yeah, no, it's,
1: I'm waiting for copy edits, but I have three books coming out before then. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay, what's that? (laughs) So, so it's interesting, right? Like I got into this, um, I wrote a book for my children, right? And then this book is a thing that has become a thing that people really want to read and talk about. Um, And like I said, it's given me the opportunity to travel Mm -hmm. and to talk to people, talk to kids all over the U.S. In talking to kids, they really want books now. Like I, I can't tell you the number of kids I've interacted with who say, "Yo, I never read a book in my life," but like. I read this one and I love it. Mm. What else you got?
0: Yeah. And so
1: I feel this, like I feel compelled to just produce and produce and produce. So I have a book. My third, so my second YA came out last October. That one's called Odd One Out. Um, That one deals with questioning and like teen sexuality Mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out, Your attractions and orientation, Mm -hmm. and like, how does friendship work when it's you know male, female, female, female? When there are romantic feelings, when there are platonic, like, how do you Mm -hmm. deal with that whole mess when you're young? Um, My novel that comes out—I have a novel coming out October fifteenth of this year. That one's called Jackpot, and Jackpot is about economic inequality, Um, and that one follows a an African American girl who lives. She's like kind of the poor kid in an upper middle class area. Uh, When I was young, my mom moved us to a suburb of Atlanta where the schools were better. And this is a reality for a lot of kids of color. Um across the country, where you have your parents, either you're bust in or, you know, some way or another, you come from kind of a lower income situation, but you wind up surrounded by people who have a lot of money. So this young lady works at a gas station, uh, really to help her mother cover the bills. And there's a night that she sells a lottery ticket worth $106 million. Uh, But when the winner doesn't come forward, she decides to tap uh, the only other person in the store when she sold the ticket who happens to be the richest boy in school, so it's really this collision course of like I have and I have not, and what happens when two people from opposite ends of the socioeconomic spectrum have to work together to solve a problem. Um, so that one's October fifteenth, January. I have uh, my first middle grade novel coming out. That one's called Clean Getaway. Uh, that one follows. Will you, will you
0: explain the difference for for listeners, Absolutely. like in author world, the difference between YA yes. and middle grade? So, like, what's the hard and fast rules about? the different styles in there. You know, there really aren't any. Yeah. So that's the
1: complicated part, right? <laughs> is it's it like just you the just kind of the know, character? Mm, a little bit. A little bit. But then yeah. even with that, like there are there are books about twelve year olds that I would not qualify 100%. as middle grade. And yeah. there are books about sixteen year olds that I'm like, is this yeah. written for a fourth grade? Yeah. Um, but in general, I think of the middle grade books as the experiences of kids between like eight and 12. Um, so you're seeing those thought processes. You're seeing um, they're kind of getting prepared to go through the muck of being an actual teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, why it can be a little grittier, there are more intense thematic elements. And I think honestly one of the main differences is that most middle graders, their parents are picking the book versus in YA, like they're picking their own book. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Which is like Yeah. Or you're Nebulas. 36 like me and you're reading YA because you're just that cool. You
1: know, <laughs> if I can be 34 and write it, you can be 34 and read it.
0: That's awesome. So yes. you so you have a middle grade. Yes, the middle grade,
1: out. yes, which also deals <laughs> with racism. Clearly I have a theme. Um Yeah, so that one follows a little black boy who goes on a road trip with his white grandmother across the American South. Mm. And, like, as they travel, it's a trip that she tried to take with her African-American husband in the 60s. So they're traveling along, and he's discovering that the world is a lot different. Yeah. And it was different for her then than it is now. But there are also still some vestiges of some of the stuff that she's talking about in his own life. And he also discovers that she's maybe a little different than he's expecting. Mm. Um, So that one was... Hard but also fun to write. Um, May fifth, I'm really excited about this one. I have a Marvel novel coming out. Oh my
0: gosh! Yes, that's incredible.
1: Um, I'm doing a series um, that features Shuri from Black Panther. Okay. And uh, I'm I've had it has been that has been the most challenging project I have ever done. Number one because typically I'm writing contemporary stuff, right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden I have to switch into this kind of science fiction, fantasy world, world building. that yeah. already exists. That, yeah, that's the weird that's part, right? Like, it's like I have to, like, play by rules. That is, yeah. ex- I don't get to make the rules up. They already exist. But I also have to learn how to kind of work with, like, things that aren't real, like vibranium. Like, that's not an actual thing, right? <laughs> so, like, it does all this cool stuff, but it isn't actually real. But there are rules for how you can use it. How funny.
0: Yeah. Well, you Wait, tell me about getting that
1: call. It was an email. Okay. And I lost my mind in an airport. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I get this email that's like, yeah, we're thinking we really want to do this project. And we were thinking Nick Stone would be perfect. And I screamed inside the Amarillo, Texas airport. (laughs) And and anybody who has been in Amarillo, Texas, like I saw a literal tumbleweed there. And I never – I thought those were just in, like, the Wiley E. Coyote cartoons. cosmetics. Like yeah. yeah, the, the <laughs> cartoons. What am I saying? Cosmetics. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was in those just in the cartoons, and I actually saw one, and I was like, whoa. Um, but, yeah, I get this email, and I – I, like, screamed in the airport. Um,
0: and is that yeah. for kids, or that's just, like, this is a –
1: anyone comic book graphic novel like 12 13 in the book so it's pre-film pre-comic canon which means i did get to have a little bit you got to experiment yeah because like this is like a time in her life before she actually exists in the comic world yeah um so that was fun and so the first one of those comes out may 5th and then the sequanian the the sequel to dear martin (laughs) is um october 6th next year you have
0: a year my goodness it's getting fun. Yeah. I'm curious how different it is. Like I know what it is to launch books for adults, but I never thought about what the process is to launch stuff for kids. Mm-hmm. From a business perspective, are you like present on platform like Snap or TikTok or like do you are you do you hang out in places that are you're specifically marketing to younger kids or how does how do you even I feel like
1: that would
0: be creepy. Like if my- I'm 100% on TikTok, and I only create content for, like, 12-year-old girls. See, I don't, I, I don't yeah. even know what TikTok is. So TikTok is this platform that is primarily middle schoolers and even some elementary and then huh. high school. It's kind of like Vine. So it's like the new Vine. Okay. But the content that I do there is literally just for a middle school audience. So I talk about breakouts or bullies or, like, literally just stuff that's for them. Yeah. Because I found, and I'm sure and when you go to schools, you're finding the same things, but the conversation that I'm having with these young girls is devastating. Yeah. Like, the, uh, what, what's interesting is that as you're talking, I can imagine people saying, like, oh, these topics feel too – this is too gritty for kids today or whatever. It's like you have – you literally have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You are not truly interacting with children in this country if you think these topics are something that they don't deal with on a daily basis. You've
1: also forgotten what it's like to be young.
0: Right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think about the number of adults I interact with who – you know, they're like, There shouldn't be sex in books about high schoolers. And I say, When did you lose your virginity? Exactly. And they go, Oh. And yeah. I'm like I think it would actually kinda of be helpful. Yeah. You know?
0: If if this was a conversation, we, we that should we... be talking yeah. about this. Yeah.
1: Um but yeah, no, so I've typically I I am an in, I love Instagram. I'm follow me on Instagram at yeah. Nick Stone. <laughs> um But yeah, I love Instagram. It makes me very happy because there's no commentary. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean you get like comments, but like yeah. I love that it's just pictures. I yeah. can just scroll There's through pretty, pictures. Pretty There's pictures. no no words, yeah. no diatribes. I can just scroll. Um, but for the most part, when it comes to marketing... This is actually a really good question. I don't act, I don't really have an answer. And yeah. I think it's because I don't have a frame of reference for the adult world. How does it work in the adult world? So we do a huge pre-launch campaign.
0: So you do a ton of stuff to get awareness out before the book comes out. Okay. Um, we do, like, pre-order campaigns. So we do something that you get, uh, for instance, with, like, Girls Stop Apologizing. Uh, we did a e-course that if you pre-ordered the book so in publishing world if you're listening to this you don't know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. um all of all your pre-orders hit on day one yes so um that first day it could look like you had 10,000 or 20,000 books go sell that day Mm -hmm. which is super helpful for getting on the list which matters if you're an author blah 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 so we do huge pre-order campaigns um and then a ton of social push what we're doing with retailers, but I imagine that the buying is different for kids. So, Absolutely. like, I, I think of my my boys are a bit younger, so they're like Dave Pilkey, like, oh, there's a new, you know, Mine that too. right? Yeah, so they're like, oh, there's a new. They know that something new is coming out, but it's just occurring to me right now. Like, I have no idea why they know. Yeah, that one of his books is coming out and mm-hmm. it's new. I just never thought about it before. I think it's that's super interesting. I'm gonna have cow- to like do
1: some digging and figure this out now. Yeah.
0: It's like a. but I mean you're clearly you're you're having mad success. So do you think it's just word of mouth or probably. Yeah.
1: I mean it's helpful to be in like the school market. Yeah. You know, when you have classrooms across America that it's it's a required reading book. Yeah. People find out Not only about the book, but about me as an author. Yeah, that's true. Um, Which is helpful. Yeah, (laughs) it's important. Like, it's very helpful. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. And now I need to find out. Yeah. Like, now I need to know. I know there's been, I know they do, like, marketing campaigns in magazines, for instance, that are aimed at teenagers. Yeah. Like, I did, I remember doing an essay on the Teen Vogue website and something for Seventeen magazine. and And things where there are teenagers, yeah, um, But it's a, that's a really interesting question. Yeah.
0: I'm just always curious how other people, like how you navigate that. And what does it look like to meet kids where they're at? Yeah. And talk to them where they're at. I mean, the, and the thing is, you're, are you on the road quite a bit? Traveling yes. to schools, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Is the, and how long have you been doing that? Since, I started in 2017. So I'm headed into the, I'm like at the tail end of the second year yeah. of doing it. Are you still enjoying that or oh yeah yeah you love it okay I do yeah um I find it enriching yeah um I'm also like overwhelmingly extroverted like almost to a fault (laughs) where I hate being alone yeah um my husband and children were both gone on Sunday night so I literally had friends come sleep at my house (laughs) so that I would not be alone in my house yes um but I get re-energized um I mean, of course, there's, like, a threshold, right? Yeah. You cross that threshold, and you're like, whoa, that was too much. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I do. I love getting to talk to kids and yeah. hear what's on their minds and, like, hear, like, what are y'all actually thinking about? What is concerning you? And yeah. how do I help, how do I help you, you know, become who you want to be? Like, what do I, what do I say to you? What do you need to hear from me, basically? Yeah. Um Have you been surprised by what you've heard? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the time. Um, It's like, it can be easy to buy into the idea that 12 to 18 year olds are wildly self-absorbed. But Honestly, it's just not true, yeah. I mean, you have, of course, every now and then you'll encounter the person who only sees their own reflection, mm-hmm. but that's true whether you're 12 or whether you're 36. Yeah, like I got a few friends where I'm yeah. like, girl, if you don't get out the mirror, so we can go. <laughs> yeah, um, they are very engaged, mm-hmm. they're very locked in, and most of them really want to help make the world a better place.
0: Yeah, I agree with that,
1: and I think that that is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see it as such a privilege that I get the opportunity to, like, pour into that and to kind of help cultivate that.
0: As you look forward to
1: when you step
0: outside of the fiction space, like, do you know... I think most authors sort of know the next, like, 27 projects, if only you had the time mm-hmm. to write them. <laughs> so do you know what that, like, if you were stepping out, what it would look like?
1: I do. I, and it's, I've been talking to my husband about it for a few days now. And... We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so I've got 3 next year, 4 in 2021. And then that are due or that are coming out? That are coming out. Okay. Yeah. And then I will have fulfilled contracts. At yeah. That point. yeah. But I'm sure I'll send some new ones sure. before, Sure. That's right? always the way. So, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I definitely have a few ideas clicking around in there um about, you know, kind of just taking up space in another arena because Mm -hmm. I, like I said before, I think it's totally fine to be good at more than one thing yeah and to be in pursuit of more than one thing. Even within the publishing industry, you don't have to stay in one age range. You don't have to stay in one genre. Like if you, I'm built, I've built a YA audience. Now I'm going to work on building a middle grade audience and then I will work on building an adult audience. And I think that like, it's fine that not everybody reads everything that I do. Like I can do this for you and I'll do this over here for you. And this over here is for you. Yeah. And we'll just go from there because why
0: not? I'm writing a screenplay right now, which has been, I thought of this idea like four years ago. And it's that project that I'm like, oh, when I have time, when I have time and I'm on deadline for the next book. And I'm taking a moment out of being on deadline to do this, which is, you know, the dumbest thing in the whole world. But I also know if I don't force myself to do it, I'm not going to finish. And it is, I'm sure, total garbage but I am having so much fun. Yes. Yeah, right. And I'm loving that I get to say things or do things in this that you would not find in my nonfiction for sure. Uh-huh. You wouldn't even find in my fiction. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to make that joke right now. But <laughs> the whole point of this is that I'm trying something new. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the idea of pushing yourself outside of you have what you're to. known for, like, right? You have to, yeah. I feel. Y'all, working remotely with your team is the new normal. I know it's the new normal over here, and I have no idea when it might change. And this new way of working requires teams to be more collaborative wherever they are. Monday.com offers a flexible platform to manage any team, project, or workflow online. Bring your team together so you can continue to collaborate, plan, and track your work. Monday.com is a project management platform that makes effective teamwork possible near or far. You can keep all your team's work in one place and coordinate across different teams and departments. This way of project managing increases productivity and efficiency and facilitates transparency between everyone on your team. Let Monday.com take care of what slows you down so you can free up time to focus on the work that drives you. To start your free 14-day trial, go to monday.com. The Rise app is finally here. I wanted to create something that would encourage you every single day, that you could grab your phone and do a workout with me or hear some inspiration or do a gratitude practice So I called up some of my best friends and we have spent the last couple of years, yes, years, creating something that we felt like was missing in the marketplace. Something that saw health and fitness not as an ideal way to look, but an ideal way to feel. So we have created in-studio workouts, inspirational hikes with Trent Shelton and running or walking on treadmill with me. You can do a workout with Chris Chandler in studio. You can do a gratitude practice. You can do a gratitude walk with Stacey Flowers. You guys, I think you're gonna love it. Track your progress, do a challenge, check things off one at a time and get encouraged by some of your favorite inspirational teachers. You can grab the Rise app on Android or iPhone. And I hope you'll try it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Please check in on social and let me know what you think. And you and me, let's get moving.
1: I was listening to this podcast on the rebel brain. It's one of the like NPR brain. There's like a series of brain things. It's one of the NPR podcasts. But they were talking about how How important it is once you become an expert at something to go back to being an amateur at something else. Oh, that's Uh, good. To keep the elasticity. Like, you want to keep learning. Like, you should never stop learning because the minute you become an expert and you stagnate, like, nobody's going to, okay, cool, you're an expert, and now what? Yeah. Um, And also, it's just good for us as individuals to continuously be learning and continuously be like stuffing ourselves with things that are new and shoving ourselves outside of our comfort zones. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that there's something really powerful about stepping away, especially if you if you've had strong success in mm-hmm. something. I there it almost feels I, I don't know if you feel like this, but it almost feels like stifling to me creatively that I had such Big success in a very specific thing. That of course the publisher is like, just write that, that book yes. forever. Yes. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I I said the things that I wanted, and then I'll you know you throw out ideas. Like I'll talk to my lead agent. I'll be like, what if I? And they're like, oh Lord, no, <laughs> do not write that. But I think that there's something so powerful about forcing yourself back to zero. Yeah. Like, hey, great. You did that thing over there. And a lot of people would live in that forever. But I would rather challenge myself, even by the way, if it's, if I think it's good and other people are like, this is this a is dumpster trash. fire. Right. Yeah.
1: And I'm like, but I did <laughs> but it. But I did it. Yes. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And I hear you. And I'm like, okay, so this is, a, if my lit agent tells me not to do something, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think that that's just, You know, I think that that's an important thing. Therapy has been wrecking my life lately. Um, (laughs) But some of the things that I am taking from it with regard to doing the uncomfortable and, like, pursuing things you don't know you're good at yet. Because I feel like a lot of us have all of this kind of untapped magic inside of us that we never unleash, we never find, because we're too busy focusing on how other people think of us. Mm -hmm. And the more time we spend trying to dig that stuff out, figuring out what makes us, like, what makes me tick? What are the things that bother me? What are the questions that I have about the world that I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid of the answer? Like, digging into those things, I think is just so enriching. And there's so much that you can, like, not only that you can discover, but that you can, like, give to other people from all of this untapped stuff that we each have. Yeah. So please write that book. Yeah. That you yes. said not to.
0: Yes. What is, it, um, what is it like for you to have gone from the idea, mm-hmm. back in the day, I'm going to write this thing, I'm going to try, I want I want to create something, I want to see myself in these pages, to today, so much opportunity in front of you. Does that feel like, what does that responsibility feel like?
1: Ooh, that's a question. Um, I'm the eldest of three. So I don't, like it feel, I definitely feel a responsibility, but I also see it as a part of being kind of this big sister creature Mm -hmm. um, writing for these younger siblings that I'm constantly surrounded by. Um, the one thing that I do feel incredibly responsible for is making sure the representation is good, making sure that the people who look like me, no matter what age they are, are seeing themselves represented in a way that makes them feel good, that makes them feel hopeful, that makes them feel uplifted. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that like, but also that validates their experiences, right? Because, I think there are times we're often conditioned to believe that you can't have you can't have both like if things are terrible then they're just terrible right but they can also be funny like you can laugh in the thick of like I can laugh at a funeral that I've actually been at a funeral where the preacher cracked a joke and we all just busted out laughing yeah. and it was the best moment yeah. of the funeral yeah. you know there there is light like darkness cannot exist without light. Mm -hmm. Like there is levity in everything. So making sure that I am presenting these experiences as authentically as possible, but also with the caveat that like, it's going to be okay. And honestly, even if it isn't okay, it's still actually okay. Yeah. Gosh. And it, it, you know, it's hard, but it's a hard that's worth it to me. Um, just because if I do nothing else, When I am no longer here on earth, I want it to be said that people looked at me and saw what they could do Mm. and decided to chase after it. Um, Especially my kids. Especially my kids. Like, I want my kids to be like, yo, not only is mommy dope, (laughs) women are dope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot, um, because as I was navigating this career and coming up in a social media environment as a blogger mm-hmm. back in the day, I got so much crap for people being a working mom, and they would say like, "Oh, Ooh, girl, oh, what's this gonna, what's this gonna do to your kids? What's this gonna teach your kids?" And I'm like, "Well, I have three boys." Who don't know a world where a woman can't found a multi million dollar Preach company, girl. right? I have a daughter who has watched, who will continue to watch her mom build something from nothing. So that's what it will do for my kids. But I think when you're first starting out, it's so easy to be swayed by what people are saying. Mm-hmm. I, I I have to imagine in that you're writing about a topic that is so. Um, divisive. Yeah. Uh, that people who don't understand the narrative that you're writing from, it, that there's pushback there. Is that You'd accurate? be surprised.
1: Um, so there are chapters in Dear Martin that are written in pure dialogue. So you have the character's name, a colon, and what's being said. There are no dialogue tags. There's no exposition whatsoever. And part of the reason I wrote them that way is so that anybody can find themselves in this Mm -hmm. conversation. And I find that I often have people who will come to me. It's usually straight white boys, like the real popular jockey ones who are at the peak of privilege, (laughs) who basically like, if you ask for it, it will be given to you. Those types. They will come to me and they will say, I was nervous about reading this book because I thought, you know, you were going to be going on and on about racism. But I actually really appreciated getting to see this perspective that I understand. Mm. So there's not as much pushback as I expected. Good. Um, Yeah. And and that has been good. Like, it it makes me feel hopeful. Yeah. um, Knowing that there are people who are willing to step outside of their comfort zones into these shoes that don't belong to them. Um, And while it's true that no one can ever really truly live inside another person's skin and mind and know what they're going through, we can always connect on the point of emotion. So when you have this kid who is unjustly arrested, I go into these spaces and I say, have any of you ever been accused of a thing that you didn't do? Boom, the connection is made. Yeah. Have any of you ever been in a a room where you felt out of place? Boom, connection made. So we can all identify with these emotions that this kid is feeling, which is where empathy comes from. So I think that, like, when I'm answering these questions and, like, going into these spaces and trying to get people to shake out of, well, this is divisive, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to talk about it. The easiest way to do that is by asking them questions. And it's such, like, there's so much light in the world, despite the amount of darkness that's here, too. Um, And I find that, like, the more I focus on finding that light and finding the ways that we are able to connect with each other, the better things go.
0: Yeah. Man, you're dropping all kinds of knowledge today, Nick. (laughs)
1: falling out of the chair. No, I like
0: it. I have no concept if we've been talking for five minutes or three hours, which is a good, which is a good one. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that means we did a good podcast. Dang it. Thank you so much for the wisdom and the insight. If people are loving you and I know they are, where is, is Instagram the place to hang out with you? Instagram is the place.
1: It's at Nick Stone, N-I-C-S-T-O-N-E. You could follow me on Twitter, but I don't like it very much. I know. I don't use Twitter. So, I'm there, but I don't actually same, use it for anything. Yeah, same, I, so. I, like, I like
0: the photos just the same. Don't bother. Well, there's about 17 books a year headed to us from Nick's show. Yes. So get your hearts Doing ready for that. Doing it to it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking about all the things. I yeah. literally think we covered every every base that there is. That's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks for the time. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So this week, I announced my next book. It's called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about how you put your life back together after your world falls apart. I actually wrote this inside of quarantine because I wanted something that y'all could read as you transition out of the crisis of a pandemic. And then inside of writing it, my world fell apart. And this is a story of how you keep on going. This is a story of the tactics and the tools that I have used time and time again when I have gone through grief or loss or trauma. The book comes out on September 29th and you can find it today. You can pre-order wherever books are sold. And yes, I am narrating the audio as always But if you pre-order, meaning if you buy it any time before September 29th, if you go to didn'tseethatcomingnewbook.com, you can get my one-hour course on how to rebuild. How do you rebuild your life? Free one-hour course plus a workbook that you can print out and utilize to start the process. Something that I thought I could give you to be helpful as you transition to whatever comes next. Didn't See That Coming is my new book and I hope that you will check it out.